If you have your Bibles tonight, we're in the book of Matthew. And uh, yes, I am not above sending your grandkids to ask you to sing in the choir, just so you know. So I appreciate everyone singing tonight, and you did a wonderful job. And, and uh, tonight I pray that this message will help you, and uh, the Lord will speak to you. And uh, tonight, uh, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, again, the title is behind me, um, Jesus Offers Us Salvation or judgment. And that could say Jesus offers life or death. And tonight I want to talk to you about this idea that God wants to save sinners. But yet God also tells us that not everyone will be saved. You see, we live in a country and in a world that has this idea that I can come to God through the Buddhist way. I can come to God through the uh, Muslim way. I can come to God through the Christian way, and we're all worshiping the same God, and so there's no reason to have a defined way of getting to heaven. And tonight, I just want to show you the text, because so many times on a sermon like this, it is so hard for us, uh, not that we don't believe it, but when we start thinking about the people that we love, the people in our families that don't know Jesus, I think it is easy for us time, sometimes to think, well, God might make an exception for me. Or God might make an exception for my family. Or how many times do we watch a child make a profession of faith at vacation Bible school, grow up and live like the world and, 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 and never come to church and never serve God and never produce any fruit at all and, and then they die suddenly and they we're asking ourselves that question, were they really saved, were they not really saved? Well, ultimately that's a decision only between them and the Lord knows. But today I want you to see tonight that in the context that we're going to look at, that Jesus issues a stern warning about what it looks like to reject Jesus, that he gives us an opportunity to respond, but yet that he truly is in control of everything. And so tonight, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word, we're going to start in verse 20 as we are working our way through the book of Matthew. And if you remember last time that we were together at Abel to have preaching, we looked at how John the Baptist had sent messengers to Jesus to ask if he really was the Messiah, and uh, he had this discussion with him, and so we find ourselves in verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Underline those five words if you underline in your Bible. Woe! To you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, 
Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pray with me. Father, again, I come as always, Lord, asking for forgiveness, not if, but because I am a sinner, Lord. I pray that you would forgive me of anything in my heart or life, Lord, that would hinder or quench what your spirit is trying to do in this place tonight. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful day we've had. We thank you for the young man and the young lady who followed in baptism today, Lord. And we thank you that you're still saving and working. And God, I just pray that tonight you would speak through your messenger, Lord, that you would encourage, that you would convict. God, whatever is needed tonight in this place, that you would do it, and you would do it for your glory and your glory alone. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see Jesus here talking to the specific cities of his day. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting before where you were being corrected, right? Maybe it was a work safety um, video. I think when I worked at Walgreens, most of the safety videos were because of the unsafe things that I had done. But uh, you've probably been in a meeting that didn't go positive, right? That your department was in trouble, your, your uh, uh, I don't know, whatever it was, class was in trouble. And it's one thing to get a chewing when you're in a group. But it's a whole other thing when they say, and you, <laughs> you did that. Right? You climbed out on that conveyor without hooking into a harness. And so now we all have to watch eight hours worth of safety videos so someone doesn't fall and die. Right? You're sitting there thinking, oh. And everybody's like. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Jesus is specific. He starts telling these people who live in these towns, this is directed to you. And so if you're taking notes tonight, the first point I want you to show is this. There is coming a judgment for those who reject Jesus. You see, it's easy to think about lost people dying and go to hell. You say, Jake, what do you mean it's easy? I don't mean it's pleasant. But when you think about the sheer size of the world and the sheer number of people who live on this planet and you watch the wickedness on television and you watch the wickedness in the news, you realize that there are a ton of lost people. And Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So it's easy to think about the fact that there are people going to hell. But it is not easy when you think that it could possibly be your child. Or it could possibly be your grandchild. It could possibly be the person that you've been married to for 40 years. It could possibly be the person that you care about the most. Maybe a mother, a father. You see, easy is not a good word. But when we don't have to think that it affects us, things become easy. 
But tonight I want you to hear that, that there is a judgment coming for those who reject Jesus. And so let's look here at these verses in 20 through 24. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. He starts off by pinpointing the towns where he had done the most. The towns where he had done the greatest miracles. The towns where they should have looked at him and said, you can't do this on your own. You can't do things like this without the power of God. But he goes on and says, because they did not repent. He says, woe to you. Woe to you. Two specific towns here. And so can you imagine the people from those two towns and you're sitting in a crew here, you're sitting around listening to Jesus teach and he starts saying, all you people from Dale, God, I was there and I was working and I was doing miracles in front of Hunt's gas station. And you drove by and you sat there and you came in and bought a sandwich. I'm hungry, by the way. And, and you saw it. And then he got up and said, and all you people from Bell Prairie. And you live in Bell Prairie or you live in Dale, you're thinking, ooh, he's talking to me. All you people that live in Dalgren, you seen the miracles, but you did not repent. You see, that's as uncomfortable as it can get. But that's what he does here. Because friends, you might think that God doesn't know that you've rejected Him. You might think that you are playing games with God and that He doesn't see your heart, but He knows your zip code. He knows what your heart is like. He knows whether you're really saved or if you're playing church. And He goes on and says, For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And so you see here in this text, this idea that, well, so they could have, but they wouldn't have, and they should have, but they didn't. And I want you to hear all of the context in this verse. He is telling them that God had done amazing things in their presence. He is telling them that He had done amazing things for them to see. And it goes on to say, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And so what we know is the Bible teaches that hell is going to be a terrible place. But we also see that where much is given, much more will be required. We see the same thing in heaven, that heaven is going to be a wonderful place. But yet there are rewards in heaven. And so what I think you should take from this is when you have more opportunity to hear the gospel, when you have more opportunity to understand and to see the things of God, there will be a stricter judgment. He goes on and says, and you Capernaum. And the significance with Capernaum is this. Jesus did more miracles in Capernaum or around Capernaum than anywhere he is telling McLeansboro, I sit at the four-way. I didn't sell produce. I didn't sell pork chops, which, by the way, Kenny's are amazing, amen. And uh, 
I sat right there in the middle of you and did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And he says, this is the result. Who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in that day of judgment than for you. Now think about that. Now I'm not teaching tonight that, that Jesus is saying that God's will was subverted or that God wasn't in control. He is just teaching this idea that there were great things done. And friends... I don't know if you know this or not. There is no greater miracle than when someone gets saved. And we have the privilege of watching it here. Whether it's someone getting saved at home. Whether someone getting saved at vacation Bible school. You and I get to watch it. And one of these days when you and I die and I stand before God. And if I'm not saved, which I believe I am. I know, I know that I am. And God says... You were in a church. You saw people get saved. You watched people follow the Lord in believers' baptism. There is no excuse for you not hearing it. Hopefully every sermon you've ever heard me preach, at some point I have presented the gospel, talked about Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. Friends, the Bible is a miracle. It is the living word of God. And you get to hear it. The Spirit of God is presenting it to you. And so, friends, if you die and go to stand before the Lord before He says to you, depart from me, I never knew you, you are going to have to know that you are not going to be able to use this excuse. Well, the preacher was overweight, and so he didn't believe in the sin of gluttony, so I didn't think I needed to be saved. I believe in the sin of gluttony. I'm just not doing a very good job of it, but I'm trying to do better. I really am. I only had one McChicken today for lunch. That's it. Had a half of a hamburger that my kid didn't eat, but that was it. Trying to do better. Tony said the other day when I was sick from my COVID shot, she goes, Jake, we got to start exercising because taking care of you later in life being heavy is not going to be fun. It's true. I don't know where she's at. She's in here somewhere. But I'm telling you tonight, you need to know that because you have been given the opportunity to see God work and to hear the word of God, you and I need to understand that we will face a strict judgment. In Romans, the second chapter, I want to read to you verses one through six. Therefore, you are, what's that word? Inexcusable. O man, whoever you are who judge... For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? He's talking to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people have a terrible tendency in this time to judge everybody. 
right? You can't get your oxen out of the ditch on Sunday, but I'm going to go do this on Sunday. And you, and you shouldn't do certain things, but yet their hearts were wicked. And Paul is saying, listen up here. You don't think for one second that you're going to sit up on your throne of self a righteousness and, and judge other people and judge the Gentiles and think that God is going to let you get by with it. It goes on and says in verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness, don't miss that, and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will what? Render each one according to his deeds. And so tonight I want you to hear this. There were people that are saying that they'll live however they want. They'll go however they'll want. They'll do whatever they want. And when they get to heaven, they'll tell God exactly what they think. Look up here. God is judge. God sits on the throne. And when you and I stand before him one of these days, there will not be a negotiation. There will not be a debate. There will not be anything other than you and I answering the question that God already knows the answer to. Did you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Think about what it says in Revelations 21, verses 6 through 8. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water, of life, freely to him who thirsts. Don't miss that. The water of life, salvation, is given freely to those who thirst. And in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, is that beautiful picture of what God talks about is going to be like for the believer. But listen to what it says in verse 7. <clears throat> He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, friends, people can be told that their life is theirs. They can be told to do what makes them happy. They can be told to embrace the inner them. But what God's Word says is there is coming a judgment. We are reaping what we are sowing. And you and I need to be ready and we need to understand that God loves us. That salvation, it says right there, is offered freely to those who thirst. But there will come a day when that offer is no longer valid. There'll come a day when that offer is no longer acceptable. And what he says is in that day, hell is the eternal home for that person. In Matthew 25 verse 41 we see some of the most discouraging words in all of God's Word. And then He will say to those on the left hand, and you know the three words, from me. Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You say, preacher, I don't like when preachers preach on hell. And I don't like it when preachers preach on the judgment of God. And I want you to look up here for just a moment. 
that is the problem. We have gotten away from the fact that God sends sinners to hell. But yet he says, you can freely come be with me. It just said it in Revelations 21. And it even says that why was hell created and who was it prepared for? Well, your eyesight's better than mine. It says, into the everlasting fire prepared for sinners. No, it says prepared for the devil and his angels at the fall. And so today, Christians, we have to get back to believing that rejecting Jesus has consequences. But the second thing I want to show you tonight is that Jesus has been given control over everything. Jesus has been given control over everything. And it says here in verse 25, And at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You see, these are one of these verses that split churches. These are one of these verses that start different denominations. Because what we see here is Jesus is talking to the Lord. He's talking to the Father. And he says, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. And this is where some people get on their theological high horse and say, you see, there are people that had no choice. God hid this from them. God did not allow them the understanding to know that they were sinners. Or not understand that Jesus was the Savior. And they couldn't have any, any choice in it. But before they were ever born, God did not will that they should know who Jesus was. I listened to sermons for hours on these texts. And one of the most smartest, brilliant men said that this is really about being foreloved. God foreloved a certain group of people before they were ever born. And he died for those people that he loved. He didn't die for all people. But yet when you read the book of Matthew. In the fifth chapter. And before you read that. I want to quote to you. A verse in the book of John. Chapter 3. For God so loved. The world. And so if God only loved some people forward then how can that mean that he loved the world? You say, well, the world doesn't mean the whole world. It just means, it means the globe. Well, Jesus didn't die for a globe. Jesus died for people. And so tonight, I really do believe that God is in control. I believe when the Bible talks about election, that it is exactly what the Bible talks about. But I also believe that when the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, that's exactly what it means. So you might be saying, Jake, what do you believe this means? Well, I'm glad that you asked, because this is what I want you to say. I believe that when someone's heart is hardened and someone rejects Jesus, he continues to harden their heart. I believe the Holy Spirit of God at some point convicts everybody 
at least once. And when you choose to reject the convicting power of the Spirit of God, it's just like what happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It is nine times said in that passage that Pharaoh hardened his heart and it is nine times said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You say, Jake, do you have any proof that someone can say no to the Holy Spirit? Because that's what is taught, right? That if God calls you, you have no choice. I believe that God calls you and there is an effectual call and that you will respond. But listen to what it says in the book of John chapter 5 starting in verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you did not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Friends, if we believe the scripture is the inspired word of God, it is as sharp as a two-edged sword, then we have to believe that people can reject it. And what he says here is what? But you are not what? Now, I can't hear you, I'm deaf. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Now, I'm going to say this, and Bob, you don't have to give up, but you always sit in the front, so you always get picked on. Bob, I'd love for you to come up here and give me a great big hug in all these, front of these people. You say, absolutely not. No, absolutely, you can, but no. You're not willing to come. You are willing. That just blew a whole, the one person I thought wouldn't want to hug me, you just wanted to hug me. You're not willing, are you? So, right? I made the offer, but you're not willing to come. And that's what he says here. I've been here. The Word's been here. You are even searching the Scriptures for the answer. But you are still not willing to come. And so I believe that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the one who gets you to the Father. I believe that when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit deals with you and you repent of your sin and you turn from your sin to who? Jesus, he is the one who shows you the Father, shows you the Father's love. But yet he is willing, but when you turn from your wickedness after the Spirit of God convicts you, then he is the one who reveals it. That's just what I believe. You can disagree with me and we can both go to heaven. But I want you to know that I believe that he's talking about the fact that Jesus is in control. Every time you see election in the Bible, you see responsibility of people to respond. And so is God totally and absolutely in control? Absolutely. Are you totally and absolutely responsible for whether or not you accept or reject Jesus? Absolutely. You say, Jake, how can two things be totally? I don't know. I'm not God. And he'll explain it when we get there. And if he doesn't explain it when we get there... I'm just glad I'm going to be there. And so tonight, I want you to know that God is in control. That means when you pray for the lost, you can trust 
that God knows what is best. That means when you soul win and share the gospel with people, you can know that God is in control. And so the third and final thing is this. I believe that Jesus offers this invitation to all. And so right after he says, to who the Son will reveal it, listen to what his next word is. Just read that next word with me. Come! (laughs) Come! He says, judgment's coming. I'm in control. And then, come. Come. But who does he say come to? Come to me. Jesus is saying, come to me. And the very next word is what? All. And don't just stop with all because I don't want you to take that out of context tonight. All who what? Labor and are heavy laden. You know how many people labor in this world? Everybody. You know how many people are heavy laden? Everybody. And the terminology in the original language is so broad that it's this. That it is enough to cover every sin, every burden, every heartache. There is not an excuse you can make that can say, Jesus wouldn't welcome me. You say, Jake, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a terrible dad. I'm a, I'm a scoundrel. Jesus says, you come on. It's big enough for all of you. You say, Jake, I don't need saving. I'm a pretty good person. I've been in church my whole life. Friends, you fit into that category. All you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. Friends, the Sabbath in the Old Testament was absolutely about rest. And I believe the New Testament teaches that Sunday is a day for rest and worship, but there is only one real rest, and that's Jesus. Jesus, when he saves you and you can go to bed at night realizing, boy, I don't deserve to go to heaven. But if I take my last breath here in this bed, I'm going to heaven. When you get in a tough situation and you realize, boy, I don't deserve Jesus to be a friend that's closer than a brother. But you know what? He is. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this trial. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this difficulty. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm stressed. My blood pressure's up. Jesus is the answer. You see, friends, at salvation, you're an enemy of God before you get saved. You are an enemy of God. But he says when you get saved, you go from being an enemy to family. You go from being at war to God to being at peace. And so he says that, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You say, Jake, well, I just don't know. That's one verse, and you might have taken it out of context. Well, I'm glad that you feel that way, because you should always check everything that I preach. And so I want you to hear what Revelations 22, verse 17, the very last part of the entire Word of God, When you're writing your last will and testimony, you finish it up with what you want. And listen to what Revelation 22 verse 17 says. And the spirit and the bride say. 
And let him who hears say, and let him who thirst, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I don't know how many more times he can say what? Now, I'm not a very smart man, and you all know that. As I was teasing the Morbers, I publicly make myself look dumb on a weekly basis. And you're all witness to it. But if Jesus is going to say over and over and over and over, come. But you can't come. That makes no sense to me. If I'm going to tell you you can come up here and hug me, that's because you get up out of that chair and I'm coming down there too. We're going to hug. If I'm going to tell you to come over to our house for dinner, which I probably won't because it's, anyway, that's a whole other story, but <laughs> you're welcome to come. We'll sit in the yard, right? You come. I'm not going to tell you to come and you get in my driveway and be like, I was just kidding. Drive back to Mount Vernon. No, come. Come. That's what Jesus says. You say, well, Jake, I just, I don't know if I agree with that. Listen to one more verse and I'll finish tonight. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. The great sermon by Stephen. I want you to hear this tonight. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Tonight I want you to know something. God wants you to be saved. God has done everything necessary for you to be saved. Before you were ever born, God put Jesus on a path to die for your sins and for mine. You say, well, I, just, I, I believe it's all up to chance. I believe it's all up to me. Did you have any choice when you were born? Did you have any choice where you were born? Did you have any choice what sex you were when you were born? And if you answer yes, then I'm going to throw something at you, by the way. No. And so there are many things that God has orchestrated and placed in His sovereignty and in His goodness to bring you to a point. And God knows the choice you're going to make. And God's involved in the choice you're going to make. But you are not going to be able to die and stand before Him and said, Lord, I didn't know. Because what the Bible is full of is what? You come. And Stephen even said before they stoned him, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And so tonight I want you to know, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Tonight if you're here and you're lost and the Spirit of God is convicting you of your need to be saved, give your heart and life to Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're saying, Jake, I'm a Christian, but boy, I'm a mess. Jesus said all you who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest you say well Jake I think I'm saved and I think I'm doing pretty good in my walk with God right now then I want to encourage you that you ought to be begging God to use you to share the gospel to use you to have opportunities at work and opportunities at home and opportunities wherever you go to share the gospel I don't know if you've noticed this or not before I became the pastor, I remember people were saved at the altar all the time. I can remember it. I can remember people who were saved here and there and over there. And I remember sitting back there uh, 
How about the second row from the back, you know, during the altar call, peeking like, you know, we're not supposed to. You know, everybody close your eyes, you're back going, who's up there, right? Who's getting saved? But that doesn't happen very much anymore. And as a pastor, sometimes that bothers me. Kind of like it bothers me how I think I'm preaching pretty awesome sermons and you'd all act like you don't even hear me. But you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for Hanley being saved at home with her mom and dad. I'm thankful for Marcy being saved at home with her mom and dad. I'm thankful that Andrea, my daughter, was saved in my office. I'm thankful that Kylie was saved in my office. I'm just looking out here. Many of you, your kids were saved in your living rooms and your some strange places over the years. And you know what? It's all right. I'm just thankful that God's still saving people. But he can do it here. He can do it in a boat. He can do it in a car. Tonight, though, I want you to hear this. You have an opportunity to get right with Jesus. He says, come. I read the text to you verse by verse tonight. Verse by verse, word by word. But don't be like what Stephen said. Resist the Spirit of God. Because tonight could be the greatest night of your life if you'll just give your heart and life to Jesus. Trust Him and watch what He can do. Father, we thank You so very, very much for Your Word. And Lord, tonight I pray that I in no way miscued or misled what your word says God I believe that you're sovereign God I believe you have purposes and plans Lord I believe you're in total control but God I believe that we are not without excuse Father thank you for loving us so much to putting everything in motion and plans God and being in total control as you work in our hearts and lives Father tonight I pray pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would be at work. Lord, that he would be convicting the young child, the oldest one in the room, Lord, to truly be saved this evening. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would work in your people, whether it's sin that we've hidden, whether it's hurts that we've buried, whether it's it's division that we've overlooked, that tonight, Lord, you would give us the desire to repent and get right with you. Father, I pray for this church. Lord, we've been given so much. Lord, as I saw those kids all walk in this morning by the dozens, Lord, it was such a blessing. Lord, as I listened to the loud thumping of music in the youth, Lord, how blessed we are. Lord, help us never be like the towns mentioned that we have rejected what we were doing. That we have forgotten or got over how amazing you are. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that you would humble us, you would correct us, whatever is necessary, God, this evening for us to be used by you and for your glory. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, Maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. 
So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.